This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Our scripture this morning is the Holy Gospel according to John. Holy Gospel according to John, verses 1 through 8. And this is, of course, Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. We moved to a new town, uh, and hence I started a new school when I was in 10th grade, actually end of 9th grade, but nonetheless, uh, new school and high school, never easy. And I remember uh, one day in gym class, we were kind of hanging out and just shooting some hoops with the basketball, and uh, I made a couple of three-pointers, and, and a kid said, hey, you're pretty good, you should try out for the team. Well, at home, when I was playing by myself or with my brother or when I was playing, didn't think anyone else was watching, I was pretty good. At least I wasn't terrible. Uh, and certainly, you know, could always make my layups. No problem. But as soon as others were watching or something was on the line, then I'd tense up and get nervous and miss the easiest of shots. Ugh. Maybe you can relate a little bit. <clears throat> and as you can guess, that's exactly what happened at the JV team tryouts. I tensed up, I missed some easy layups, I turned the ball over, and in general, didn't play up to what I felt my potential was. Didn't play as good as I knew I could play. And to make matters worse, we had to run some uh, gym length, what we called in those days suicides. Maybe you're familiar with these. You ran Part of the way of the court, had to touch the floor, ran back to the baseline, then a little further, baseline, half court, baseline, three quarters, full court, and you're just running, running, running. And man, I was a little bit out of shape. Everything started to get a bit blurry, like black dots started to fill my vision. And I ran to the bathroom and threw up. <laughs> what a great way to make friends at my new school. Well, as you can guess, I didn't make the team. 
<sighs> now, of course, this was just a small town sports team many years ago, right? So not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. But it seems that we can do this to ourselves at times in everyday life. We can sabotage ourselves by overly doubting ourselves, by critiquing ourselves in unhealthy ways, and getting bogged down in anxiety and self-consciousness. And many of you know what I'm talking about, right? I think probably all of us have experienced this to some level or another. And of course, the same thing happened to me as an adult when I joined a local disc golf league here. I thought maybe I'd grown out of this, but shots that I could make pretty routinely by myself suddenly felt a hundred times harder when I was playing uh, with people that I didn't know very well or, or friends I had just made. Suddenly it got harder. And I'd be like, why is this so hard? I know I can make this shot. Here we go again, I thought. Started having some flashbacks. Well, I came across this book, uh, this helpful book by Timothy Galway. Some of you may have heard of this one called The Inner Game of Tennis. The Inner Game of Tennis. And what he notes is that what often prevents us from living up to our potential in sports, but then by analogy also in life, is less a product of our lack of skill or physical ability and more sort of the mental and psychological aspects of the game. Let me read just a, an introductory part of his follow-up book called Inner Tennis, Playing the Game. He writes, a tennis player first confronts the inner game when he or she discovers that there is an opponent inside his own head more formidable than the one across the net, right? So you hear that there's an opponent inside our head more formidable than the one on the court with us across the net. He then realizes that the greatest difficulty in returning a deep backhand lies not in the speed and placement of the ball itself, but in his mind's reaction to the ball, his own thinking makes the shot more difficult than it really is. Further, he becomes aware that these same mental obstacles which keep him from playing his best tennis also prevent him from living his best life. If, for example, while the tennis ball is approaching, and non-tennis players may take the ball as a metaphor for any event entering their experience, your mind is screaming, you're probably going to miss this one just like you missed the last one. You better get the racket back earlier and make sure to meet the ball out front. Remember to keep your wrist firm and don't forget to follow through. And man, if I miss, I'll be down 5-3 on his serve. I doubt I can last the third set. What will they think back at the club when they found out I lost my challenge match to Jim? Right, he notes all these thoughts are running through our mind as that ball is approaching. And he says, if thoughts like these are occupying the mind, the ball will appear to approach much faster than it actually is and will not be seen clearly. And your stroke will be too tight and too contrived to be either effective or fun. In short, when one's mind is disturbed by anxiety, self-doubt, and concern about one's image, 
and consequently is overfilled with instructions, self-criticisms, and thoughts about future and past, it prohibits the full expression of one's potential at that instant. This is true whether the participant is hitting a tennis ball, making a speech, taking an exam, making a business decision, or is involved in any other activity. Now, all of this isn't uh, a perfect, perhaps, example of what Jesus is talking about here in John 15, but I think it's in the ballpark, if you'll excuse one more sports reference. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me as I abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. Jesus is speaking of oneness and inviting us into that oneness to abide in him, to remain connected, to be in the flow of all that is. Now to appreciate this imagery of the vine that Jesus is using, Ched Myers notes that we need to consider the role of the vine in Hebrew scripture and in Israel's Memory. Beginning in Genesis 9.20, uh, we have Noah, who was the first one to plant a vineyard. That's what the text tells us. And beginning with that, the images of vines and vineyards is used over 200 times in the Bible. And it's important to note that for a nomadic people, a vineyard is a natural symbol of settling down, of calling a place home. And to this day, villages in France and in Italy proudly measure their longevity by the age of their vines. A healthy vine is a multifaceted source of joy, providing fruit to eat economic substance and wine for celebration. And so in many ways, the vine is the image of how life should be. How life should be. And Jesus is noting that the more we stay connected spiritually, the more we will grow and bear fruit. Now, spiritual traditions around the world uh, teach ways of being in the flow, and they describe it in a myriad of ways, such as connecting to oneness, plugging into a universal life force, letting go and letting God being in the now, achieving nirvana or enlightenment, and, and many, other, uh, many other descriptions. And in many ways, it means to tap into the eternal consciousness that permeates all of us and listen to the rhythm and the song that is there. And as we listen to this sound, we find our own harmony. Now, what often interrupts this process is the ego, the ego, that part of the self that wants praise, that compares itself to others, that's worried about what others think of us, the part of ourself that self-critiques the true self. And so when we are connected spiritually, we transcend the ego. And a spiritual practice that can help us 
do this is learning to live in the present moment. By noticing what is happening around us and who is around us, by tuning in to what simply is. Arnold Kotler, an American Buddhist, writes about this. He says, as I walked slowly and mindfully through a Greek, through, not a Greek, a green oak forest this morning, and he's writing some decades ago, as I walked mindfully through a forest this morning, a brilliant red-orange sun rose on the horizon, and it immediately evoked images for me of India, he writes, where I had a chance to join Thich Nhat Hanh and a group of others as we visited sites where the Buddha taught. And on one walk to a cave near Bodh Gaya, we stopped in a field surrounded by rice paddies. What an experience to walk with Thich Nhat Hanh and other Buddhist monks. And so he says, they stopped in a field and recited this poem together. Peace is every step. The shining red sun is my heart. Each flower smiles with me. How green, how fresh all that grows. How cool the wind blows. Peace is every step. It turns the endless path into joy. Kotler writes, these lines summarize the essence of Thich Nhat Hanh's message that peace is not external or to be sought after or attained, living mindfully, slowing down and enjoying each step and each breath is enough. Peace is already present in each step. And if we walk in this way, a flower will bloom under our feet with every step. And in fact, the flowers will smile at us and wish us well on our way. Now, some of you may be thinking this sounds overly simplistic or utopian or maybe just naive. But from my own experience, the moments in which I feel most connected to God most connected or in the flow of all that is, those are exactly the moments when I am cultivating uh, a deep awareness of the present moment. And living in this way doesn't mean that we won't face challenges, right? We will. Jesus did after all, and he was the most tuned in spiritual being who ever lived. Life will still be hard. There'll still be obstacles, disappointments, and challenges. But we will be more prepared to face them. We will be living from a place of deep connection, the flow of life from the vine that Jesus speaks of. Now, in my experience, this isn't something you achieve one time and then you're set for life, right? If only, right? If only. It's rather a daily practice a daily practice of cultivating this connection, of attuning yourself to this oneness. And I need it. We all need it. Because when I'm not in that place, I can get impatient with others and with myself. I can give in to anger. I can find myself getting frustrated and letting disappointments or the behavior of others control me. 
have power over me. But when I'm grounded spiritually and in the flow, I find new reserves of patience. I find that I am smiling, that I can't believe I am alive and get to be a part of beautiful things like my family and this community that we all share together and simply life on this earth. Now, Lena Meyer notes that um, certain activities can help different people tap into this state and some may be unique to you, right? Something that you uh, enjoy doing. The kind of thing that if you had a day with no schedule, no work or family obligations, and you could just design the day, do whatever it is that you would like to do, which would bring you the most satisfaction, joy, fun, would make you happy, that's the thing you would do. So if something comes to mind when I say that, feel free to share that in the comments. Could be anything. Could be anything, but just something that you love, right? What is that thing? What is that thing? Meyer says that uh, these activities can range from things like dancing, painting, writing, teaching, building, designing, playing music, practicing yoga, rock climbing, surfing, snowboarding, engaging in team sports, or simply just having deeply connected conversations and plenty more, right? It's a state where the activity itself becomes the reward. Psychologist Mihaly Sixzent Mihaly, I'm mispronouncing the name, I'm sure, but this psychologist coined the term flow in the 1970s as he began to unravel what he called the optimal experience of humans and how to achieve it. And since then, an incredible body of research has been produced showing that being in a flow state not only feels good, but it has a direct positive correlation with happiness, productivity, creativity, and health. So when we're doing those things that we enjoy, that allow us to simply be, be in the moment, be connected, those things are, are good for us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually as well. And so I believe Jesus is talking about and teaching about a universal human experience. Spiritual teacher Jim Tolis says that when you are no longer fighting yourself and you let go into the flow, you may suddenly feel really full of energy. The flow is naturally energizing. You're tapping into the vastness of energy that's always been there. And he also notes that we must be clear that this isn't some immature, selfish approach to life that only cares about oneself, <clears throat> right? It's actually the opposite. Awakened and conscious people care very deeply about the world. And we have a deeper sense of when it is we are called to action and when we're called simply to be present to whatever is happening, even if it's something difficult or even horrible. There is a clear-sightedness that comes in this space, but it's only going to be available to you when you're willing to look at the whole picture. And he reiterates, there, is, there are no rose-colored glasses here. 
There's no unrealistic idealism here. There is only life. And as we let go of ideas and tap into the flow, we simply see life as it is. That's the only way to paddle our boats in the great stream of consciousness. If we are still imposing our own views on the world, we won't see blockages up ahead and we'll run straight into a reef and ground our boat. Then we'll get angry at the rock and go back down the path of suffering. Instead, we learn to laugh at ourselves. It'll all be okay in as unfolding as it should, even in this painful moment. On the spiritual path, we'll still make mistakes, and then we'll start again. Because each new moment is a chance to let go, get in the flow, and start again. Now, maybe this morning you're feeling anything but in the flow. That's okay. That is okay. Because the river is patient and always there. If you close your eyes and listen, you might even hear it now, lapping gently against you, inviting you to let go and see where the current takes you. Amen and namaste. Invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.